All right, I'm glad you're here this morning. We're going to jump right into it. This is a, this is a just a, it's it's a difficult message today, and but I believe God wants to do some great things in your hearts, and and we've been looking at the topic of 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 knowing God's will for our lives, and, and I do believe God has a will for your life. He has a will for your finances. We're going to talk about that next week. He has a will for your marriage. He just he 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 has so much for you. Do you know that this morning? God has so much for you if you just trust him today. And I think sometimes it's just easier for us to to look at the world and trust those things that can give temporary satisfaction but not eternal satisfaction. And God says, "I have so much more for you." Yes, God will bless your life and God can bless our finance and all those things, and all those things are great and wonderful. God can bless your health, and if you're healthy today and you're feeling good today, you need just to pinch yourself and say, thank you, Jesus, for making me feel good today, amen? Because I hear a lot of you coughing today. It's a lot of cold. We just need to lay hands on everybody. This whole pneumonia cold thing is crazy. It's already happening among us, and we just need a touch from God today. But we're looking at God's will and God's uh, desire for you. And we've been discussing over the past couple of weeks that it, God's will is not necessarily some dot that you have to be on so small that it's impossible to stay on, that there's this perfect will and permissive will of God. But we've looked at that God's will is more of a, a green pasture which allows latitude under the obedience of of his word and we've understand that God is so concerned about your personal life and and your moral life and we've kind of used Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 as is our basis as our springboard for this whole series that that God wants you to renew your mind from the patterns of this world to to the patterns of God to offer your bodies as living sacrifices unto him holy pleasing and acceptable I like this quote by James McDonald. He says, God does not have some undisclosed detailed blueprint for your life. There's no secret unseen code that specifies how you are to choose and how you are to act and how you are to move in every particular situation. God's will is about the kind of person you are, not which street you live on and, and not where you're supposed to give your paycheck. God's will is about you and I being a certain kind of person. And God's more concerned, I mean, it's not that where you live and what job you have that you don't pray about, all those, all those things are important, but, but the overarching theme that I want you to see through these messages is this, God cares about you as a person and how you walk in holiness. That doesn't mean when you read God's word that God's not going to burden your heart. That doesn't mean when you're, when you're praying and you're listening to the voice of God that God's not going to burden your heart. Or if you're reading some scripture where God says, burden right there, that, that's what you're missing in your life and, and you need to change that. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit won't convict you in areas of your life when you read God's word on areas that you need to change. But I want you to notice that the theme through this message about God's will is in all the scriptures that we read about God's will, they all relate to holiness. That God really cares and desires for you to live a holy life before him. When you do that, you will be in God's will. So all the choices that you make during the day, you're going to make wise, mature choices because they're not going to be based on immaturity. They're not going to be based on, God, what do I want? This is my will, and maybe if you want to get on board with me, God, I kind of want you to bless this. 
No, it's going to be more like this. God, I'm so consumed with you and listening to your voice and being obedient to your word that the choices that I make, God's going to be pleased with because they're not based on me. They're based on God's desire for me to be the right person in that situation. So really, much of it boils down to making wise, mature decisions. And when you're walking in God's plan and God's will and you're being obedient to his word and you're studying his word and you're hungry for his word, this is going to keep you from making immature decisions. Amen, right? So, so if you're walking as when you're being obedient towards, it's going to keep you from making those immature decisions that will cause you grief in your life. So I want to define what holiness is because really before we jump into this message on marriage, Paul tells us that God is most concerned with your holiness as we, as we, as we used Romans 12 of of God wanting you to offer up your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, then you will know God's perfect will in your life. And I love the way Randy Elkhorn just defines this word holiness. Listen to what he says. He says, godly living, because that's really what it's all about. It's all about godly living. Godly living centers not on what we avoid, but on whom we embrace. Anytime we talk more about do's and don'ts than about Jesus, something is wrong. The Christian life is far more than sin management, behavior modification that's not empowered by God's heart-changing grace is self-righteousness. As repugnant to God as the worst sins people gossip about. Man, that's a great quote right there. And I love what Randy says here. It says, if, if all we're doing is behavior modification, if I'm worried more about the do's and the don'ts, instead of really being empowered by God's grace that has changed my heart, then I just turn into a self-righteous person. God does not desire you to be a, just a self-righteous person where you say, as long as I'm doing more good than, than bad, then I'm pleasing you, God. And then we kind of turn into this Christian machine that all we're doing is, okay, God, I'm so, I, I, wanna, I don't want to feel guilty and condemned, so I'm going to try as hard as I can with, with, with as much strength as I can to do what's right before you. So that you're going through the day and someone cuts you off in the car and you say a cuss word or you, you swear. And like, oh, man, I just blew it. I'm condemned the rest of the day. So then we say, okay, God, God, I'll make a deal with you. I won't say another bad word the rest of the day. That lasts about five minutes for some of you, okay? The jobs you work in, okay? Listen, it's not about the do's and the don'ts. I like what Randy says here. It's about God empowering you through his grace that allows you to say, God, only through your grace can I change. Four of you, good. I'm glad you're with me this morning, 830 Living Word Crowd, okay? Listen, it's about his heart changing grace. It's not about me trying to become that better person. That's not God's will. And some of you, maybe that's the way you thought of religion. You thought of religion as long as I go to church and I read my Bible and, and I listen to Christian music and I, I watch Christian TV and, and maybe if I get really radical, I even wear a Christian t-shirt. And that's about the end of it right? But the problem is, if it's not done through God's empowering grace that changes your heart, 
all it, it is when you boil it all down is just self-righteousness that's repugnant to God. That's not God's desire for your life. God's desire for you is that you would be pure before him because his grace through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ has so radically changed your life that now you lay your life down before Jesus Christ and you say, it's not my will that should be done. It's your will, Jesus, in my life because of what you've done for me on that cross. I recognize that I was hopeless. I was desperate. I was in despair and not enough religious, righteous acts could ever save me. All the things that I've done in the past, all the good works I've done in the past are meaningless, Paul said, in comparison to what Christ has done for him through the cross of Jesus Christ. And you've got to get to that point in your life where you realize, Jesus, it's only through you and your cross and the, and the life-changing power of the cross of Jesus Christ and knowing what he did for me and paid the penalty for my sins that I could ever be set free from myself. So stop trying to do it yourself. And some of you here, you're just struggling today with that. You're struggling with overcoming your past addictions or overcoming past things in your life that have, have so captivated you and their, their, their chains are attached to you. Listen to me. Come to the cross. Lay your life down before him and say, God, only by your grace can you change me. And when you find that empowering grace that God will outpour on you, it changes the way you look at things. So now my holiness before God is not for my glory and to say, look how good I am and look how often I attend church and, and, and look how often I read the Bible and look at me, look at me, look at me because I'm insecure because I want everybody to think I'm spiritual. I say, don't look at me. I say, look at Christ and what he's done for you and how powerful that life is changing trans, trans, uh, transformation that happens in Jesus Christ happens in a life that completely abandons themselves to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I can't do it without you. And so God's desire for you is for you to be the person that he desires you to become. And are we abandoned to that? Are we abandoned to that gospel message, that life transformation, or have we abandoned ourselves to this comfy, cozy little Christian life that we've developed for ourselves and, and, and we're not being pushed and we're not being challenged anymore? Some of you are here today and you're just like, I'm just stagnant in my Christian walk. I'll be honest with you, Pastor. I've been a Christian for 400 years and I know all the songs. I know everything. You're not going to teach me anything new. And I looked at the message and I'm like, okay, here's another message on marriage. What am I going to learn here? you become stagnant in your walk. And God says, I'm going to do so much more in your heart if you just listen to me. And you take inventory of your life and say, God, why have I become this way? Why have I stopped becoming sensitive to your Holy Spirit and your moving in my life? What, ha what has happened? Well, we just become old, crusty Christians. That's what happens, and everybody can do that. It's easy to do that if we're not careful. But God wants to breathe his life through you through the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit when a heart is abandoned to him each and every day. So let me just say this. God does have a plan. If you're looking to be married, if you're married now, if some of you are widows, widows here today or you're not married, all this stuff is just great truths that I believe God can help you and to help even counsel other people and, 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 and help you even in your own uh, marriage. So, so I want to dig into this. What, what is God's will? What is God's heartbeat? What, how do we know the plan of God for, for marriage? And, and to understand this, l listen, marriage is on the attack today like it's been for years. 
I think we have a, a, a messed up understanding and definition of marriage. I, I, I think the, the, the issue here today is we can blame the world and say, oh, look at the world and look at the divorce rate. Look at all the problems in the world. The problem is it's the same stuff that occurs in the church. I've been pastoring for 22 years. I've done tons of marital counseling. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, the same problems that are in the world are the same problems that are in the church. And that's why we need to talk about it. It's a serious epidemic. And if we don't understand this, then we're going to leave ourselves open to the minds of, uh, of Satan and allow him to, to, to place things and to do things and to tempt us in areas that we should not be tempted in if we're not going to the Word of God. So, so I want to look at, at what is God's plan and what is God's definition for marriage. And to understand this, we need to go back to, the, back to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And, and I love the first three chapters of Genesis because it answers our worldview. It answers the three basic questions that most people ask in their life. And uh, that's why I, I love the first three chapters of Genesis. They answer the question of why do we exist? What's the problem? And how do we solve it? And in Genesis chapter 2, God gives us his plan and definition for marriage. This is God's desire for the marriage. It's found in Genesis chapter 2. If anybody tells you anything different, you just tell them that they're, they're full of hogwash, okay? You just say, you don't know what you're talking about. God created marriage. God defines marriage. And if we're going to know God's will, we've got to listen to what God's word has to say about it. So let's look at Genesis chapter 2. If you've got your notes or your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25 and let's look at god's definition for marriage and let's see what it says here it says then the lord god said it is not good that man should be alone all the men said thank you jesus for women and all the women said we don't really need men but but that's god did so we got to follow god's plan you know it's all true out there okay then God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. I want you to underline that, whether in your Bible or your notes. Underline the word helper, because we're going to unpack what that word really means. A helper, a, a, a fit for him. I like that. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of heaven and brought them to the man and, and see what he called them and and whatever the man called the living creature that it was his his name wouldn't it be cool to say okay this thing over here your name is platypus okay because i have no idea what that means and you're a lion and you're that that had to be really cool just gave him all these cool names and the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of heaven and every beast in the field but for adam there was not found a helper look at that word look at those words again fit for him so the lord god caused uh, for the Lord God had caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib uh, that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and, and brought her to the man, and the man said, Woohoo! No, the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh. Of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she looks really good. No, she should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was literally taken out of this man. 
Therefore, very important here, these last words. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. So what can we learn from this passage about marriage? There's a lot of things we can learn here, and hopefully there's some new things that you can learn from this passage. First of all, we understand from these passages in Genesis chapter 2 that it was God who created man and woman. Now, if you notice something right away, God said it is not good for man to be alone, so he created a helper for him. Now, there's a couple things I want you to see here. She was his helper. He didn't create a slave for him. It was a helper. He didn't create someone to be dominated by him. He created a helper. God created woman from his side, not from his head to be ruled or from his feet to be trampled on, but from his side. So what was the purpose? What's the, what's the reason for this woman coming into Adam's life to be his wife? Well, there's, there's a very important definition and reason why God created this woman. The purpose of woman literally means to be his companion, she would be his fit. And what I love about this, if you look at the original Hebrew language here, most of the Old Testament was written in, the word helper literally means this. I love this. One who supplies strength in an area that I'm lacking in. Isn't that great? I love that definition. It's one, this companion this helper would be one who supplies strength in an area where I'm lacking. This does not imply that the helper is either stronger or weaker than the man. Literally, she was a fit for him or matching him. A wife is not her husband's clone, but she would literally complement him. So when you've got two people that have come together, if we're going under God's definition, if we're following God's will and his plan, then these two people are literally companions for one another. Have you ever noticed when people are married for a really long time, they just start to look like each other? Isn't that cool? They just, they just look like each other. They act like each other. and they just, they, they, they just blend. They're just such good Friends, you ever notice that people that have just been married just for a long time and they come together and you just see them and and you know I, I love when I see couples that have been married forever and they still hold hands and stuff. I'm like, you go, you you just not my parents like that's creepy. But anyway, if if, if other people can do it because you know I just can't get over that. But anyway, um, it's just great. They're, they they complement each other. They become they become they, not only are they lovers but they're best friends and 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 they're just so funny. I, I, I had to go to a, um, uh, a, I was at a pastor's conference for, for three days last week, and, and, and on the plane ride down to Atlanta, just a great conference, it was just so awesome, but on the plane ride down to uh, Atlanta, I, I, there's a couple behind me, and they must have been married for like 150 years, 
they were, I laughed. It was the quickest hour and 45 minute plane ride I ever had because I just, I, I had my headset and I was going to listen to some music or whatever. And I said, no, the, this is boring compared to what they're talking about. It was, cr- I just totally eavesdropped on their whole conversation. He would, they would bicker about, honey, why are you getting ginger ale? You know what that does? It gives you gas. I'm like, no, she didn't say that. She did not say that. I, so the person sitting next to me, we keep looking at each other going, this is priceless. You know, and then, and then they, this other kid, they just started bickering about something. And, and he goes, well, you always tell me what to do. She goes, because I know you and I know that, you know, whatever, 15, 20 minutes from now, you're not going to be happy and that I'm going to have to live with you. I'm like, it was just great. And they've probably been married forever. I just loved it. It was just so much fun. But listen, th- this literally, she was that match for him, that, that compliment. And here's what God intended them to be. God intended them to be one. That's the beautiful thing about marriage. God intended them to be one. This would be the closest of all human relationships. That's why Paul uses the marriage relationship to, to compliment or to, uh, to symbolize the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Their oneness was to be this, both spiritual, emotional, and physical. And, and, and this is where we can easily have the breakdown in marriage. If, if, if these three things aren't clicking, if the spiritual, the emotional, and the physical, if, if you got one out of the three, you're, you're only clicking on one cylinder, right? It's not a complete. If you got two out of the three, it, it, it's not going to work. God says these three things got to be working in order for this thing to happen. And so I know some of you sitting here today say, Pastor Ben, I, I'm not even clicking on one of those things with my spouse. There's hope in the Lord. Don't give up. Don't give up praying. God has a plan. Don't give up on that. And there's some of you here today that you just need to hear these three. And you may think, okay, well, we got one out of the three. Isn't that good enough? No. God says, listen, in order for my will to be accomplished and for you to understand this, you've got to be clicking on these three vital things. So why is oneness? Remember, oneness, there's got to be a blend. There has to be harmony. Have you ever heard someone when they're singing and they're not in harmony with someone else? It's just bad, right? I can't sing, you know, and, and I, I don't know if I sing too flat or too sharp. I, I don't know the, if I'm too pitchy or what. I don't know. I just sing, okay? I just sing, and, and the Lord listens to it, and he says, Barton, you're the best singer in the world because it's just a joyful noise, right? That's all that matters. So some of you that can't sing, just chalk it up to, Lord, I'm giving you a joyful noise. Even though it's a noise, God still sees it as joyful, even though it's noise, it's still joyful, right? So listen, there, there's got to be harmony. When you, when you hear perfect harmony together, man, it sounds good, doesn't it? When you hear three people get together and they just harmonize perfect, there's a oneness. But if you got one person that's out of tune, you're like, wait, there's something right there. Doesn't sound good. And it, and it causes you to begin to think and not enjoy the music because one thing is out of kilter. So let's look at these three things and why these three things need to be clicking in your marriage. First of all, spiritually. God created man and woman to walk together spiritually. The oneness encompasses spirituality. And what, is I, what do I mean by that? The husband and the wife would come under God as their spiritual head. They were to live in obedience to the Lord, in obedience to God. God gave them specific instructions of, of what to do and what not to do, and they broke those instructions, and, and we understand 
why sin came into the world through Adam and Eve and their disobedience. But what's the spiritual side of this? Well, spiritually, the husband, because he is the head of that family, is to be the priest of that family or the minister of that family or the protector of that family spiritually. So how does this look? Well, for you men, here's how it looks in your married relationships. It's leading by example. It's praying with your wife. It's praying over your children. It's, it's, it's a wife who is praying for her husband. It's, it's a support in the leadership in the home. Uh, the wife is to en- encourage the husband spiritually. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, Pastor, my situation is different. You don't understand because my husband's not there right now. And you need to pray with me more. Listen, if you're in that situation, you pray for your husband and you encourage him. Encourage him. Not nag him. Encourage him. No amens out there, but that's okay. I didn't think I'd, I didn't think I'd get one there, okay? Listen, you encourage them by loving on them. Now, that doesn't, I'm not talking about spousal abuse and all that other stuff. That's a whole different situation. But if you're in a situation where you know that your husband's not taking that step, you encourage them. Listen, we've got a great men's group here. We've got men that meet on Thursday morning. EJ Mail leads our, our men's group. We are praying for you, for the men of this church that they would take a step spiritually, that they would have a hunger for God, and that, and that they would rise up and, and lead their family spiritually in their way. So don't give up. Keep praying. Wives, be supportive. Keep loving. When he does something good, you say, man, that, that encouraged me when you prayed with me. And, and, when, and when you have the, the ambition to want to come to church and to, and to bring our family to church, I, I appreciate you doing that, and I appreciate you leading out in prayer in that situation. Thank you, honey. That meant so much to me. That's how you encourage them spiritually coming together, being one together. So important in this situation. So God is the head. The husband is the covering of that wife. She comes under that covering, under the headship of the husband. And there's a blending spiritually that happens here when the husband is being obedient to the Lord. And you may say, well, what happens if that's not here? The Bible tells us very specifically in the New Testament, Paul says, women, wives, in a situation where the husband's not leading spiritually, you be a good example of Jesus Christ. And let your, let your example be so exemplary that it leads your spouse to the Lord. Amen? So that, that's, that's, what, that's what the Word of God says about that. Okay, so let's look at the next thing here. So, so spiritually, we need to be clicking there emotionally. Now, emotionally, here's where it can get really just weird and, and disconnected here. I, I want you to understand, here, here's how we protect the emotional stability of the marriage. Because I think when, when I have counseling with couples, um, they understand the spiritual thing and they'll say to me, yeah, yeah, we're not doing that and I know I need to step up to the plate. That's kind of the easy thing. It's like, it's a no-brainer. Listen, start praying. Start coming to church. Start being hungry for the Lord. You know, spiritually, they they get that. But emotionally, here's where we get just disconnected as a couple because many times couples, when they're with each other all the time, they just don't like each other sometimes. And I'm just looking at these two couples. Do do you like it? Well, I love them because I'm supposed to like it. That's not what I ask. Do do you like each other? You're just fighting over whether it's partly sunny or partly cloudy out. Really? I mean, just some of these arguments, I'm like, really? This is what you're arguing about? Really? 
this is what you're arguing about. This is the problem. And it goes so much deeper. And I believe the problem is there's a disconnect emotionally here. Let me give you a couple things here. First of all, the husband is to literally protect the wife and allow the wife to feel secure. And the wife is to be supportive to the husband, not to dominate the husband. So how does this practically look? How do we build emotional stability within the marriage where there builds trust, there's an emotional healthiness within the marriage, and that actually the two people actually like each other, okay? So how do we do this? Well, let me just give you a couple things here. First of all, we do it through, we first do it through accountability. And what I mean by that is that be open with your spouse about everything. Don't, don't hide anything from each other. Be open about, you know, if you're on Facebook, your Facebook friends. And I'm going to do a whole, Pastor Mike and I are going to do a whole, like, three-week series on social media. I believe we need to hit this hard. I think there's a lot of distractions here. I'm not preaching against it, but what I am going to tell you is it, it can be a pitfall for many of you if you're not careful. And we're going to do a three-week series on, on the dangers and, and the advantages of social media and how we can protect ourselves from this and protect your kids and, and, and so on and so forth. But be, be open and accountable. Be, be, be open about your Facebook friends, your email, your accounts, your, your, your phone calls. Don't, don't hide anything. Don't be secretive about your whereabouts. Don't say it's none of your business. Couples, listen to me. I know you're not going to want to hear this. Have the same checkbook. Okay, don't, don't have separate checking account. This is my money. And here's the reason why. You may say, well, it works for us. Here's the reason why. I'm, I'm very neurosized. And I, and, I, and I shared this with you before when I did a message on marriage. This is why it's so dangerous. And listen to me. Do you still love me? Okay, just want to check, okay? I think people get ready to throw stones at pastor. Listen, one of the biggest trends in building right now uh, amongst uh, new builds is separate master bedrooms. You got, so basically you got two people that are just married, but basically all they are is roommates. What you want to do in your marriage relationship is do everything that creates Unity. One flesh. I know for me, sometimes it is a pain with the checkbook because Kathleen, you got, I don't, but you know what? It's worth the pain because both our names are on the checkbook. You think, Pastor Barden, big deal. No, it is a big deal for this reason. Oneness. I want to do everything in my marriage that creates oneness, that draws my spouse to me, not create these separate lives. And I'm telling you, listen. I know I've got a pee for a brain, but listen to me, okay? Been doing this 22 years, and I see it over and over again where couples, when they begin to do that, it's this, it's this slow separation that starts with that and eventually weaves its way, weaves its way until you've got two basically separate lives. You want to do everything to create accountability that brings trust and security within the marriage relationship. I, I, I almost go overboard sometimes because I just, I just feel like it's important to do that. My wife knows where I'm at all the time. There is not a time where I want her to feel like, where were you for those two? I don't ever want to bring mistrust into the relationship. It is so important that you bring that accountability in that relationship. And, and if, there, if, if, if there is this, it's none of your business, you've got a problem that you need to deal with 
And please seek help and pray together about that so that, so that there's not this disconnect in the accountability. What's the other thing you can do for emotional stability in the in marriage? There's got to be respect for one another. And, and what I've noticed among couples many times when I'm counseling, there is just a disrespect for the roles. Either the husband's not respectful of the wife does or the wife's not respectful of the, what, what the husband does. You need to learn to respect each other's feelings. When disagreements come, don't resort to abusive language that belittles the other person, humiliating the other person, whether you're alone with them or with other people. If I see you humiliating your spouse in front of me, I will hurt you. I will hit you. I will get you on the ground. I'll get you into half Nelson, okay? I don't want to... That, that's not how you do it. And I think many times we want to win this argument and we resort because we have so much anger and bitterness in our heart that it results to abusive language. And, and I'm not saying abusive language, maybe even yelling, because sometimes we think, well, I don't, I don't yell at my spouse. I don't, I don't scream at my spouse. But what begins to happen is abusive language can happen and by just saying little, you know how we tweak each other? You, you know, it gets under each other's skin. You know, and so what we tend to do is we can do little put-downs of one another that hurt and that can be abusive in a way of just hurting that other person. So let's be very, very careful in how we do that. Do not lead by intimidation or guilt or threats or, or, or over-controlling attitudes. These are all forms of manipulation and are very dangerous. Make money decisions together. This can become an area of control if we are not careful. We need to create this environment that causes both the spouse, the wife and the husband to feel secure and protected. You know, never use words like you always, you, you know, you never. This only creates a defensive behavior amongst one another. You know, you may win the argument, but you're going to lose the relationship. And I think for some of us, sometimes we just want to win the argument to be right. But in the meanwhile, we completely destroy the relationship. So just keep the, that past buried. Don't bring it up. That's just a cheap way to, to get your own way or to, to, to win an argument. And, he, and, here's, and here's an important thing, too, when you're looking at emotional stability and respect for one another. Don't expect perfection from your spouse. If you're expecting perfection in your marriage, you need to really grow up there because you're never going to see it. There's always going to be issues. There's always going to be problems you're going to have to work through. I like this quote by Bruce Barton. He says, if you expect perfection from people, your whole life is a series of disappointments, grumblings, and complaints. Amen, right? Because we're always expecting more and more and more, and we never get it. And then all of a sudden, it's just our life becomes very grumbling and complaining and very self-serving. Here's another thing I want you to look at is, is just simply listening. Here's a way that emotionally we can bring and create emotional stability within the marriage. Listen, you know, in most situations for women, because men want to fix everything, so the minute we get in a conversation with our wife, she may bring a problem to you, and you're like, okay, before she's even done talking, your mind is already like eight steps ahead, and you're thinking, okay, I know how to fix this, so stop now. Okay, I know how to fix it. And then you, you wonder why your wife gets so mad and upset. She walks away because you're like, well, I can know how to fix it. And many times she doesn't want you to fix the problem. She wants you to listen to the problem. Just listen. Just listen to what she's saying. Don't necessarily, because I know we're all, for the most part, men are fix it. We just want to fix all the issues. I think one of the, the greatest things that, that ever saved a marriage in this particular area of listening I believe this one thing can save, 
has saved and will save more marriages than anything else. It's the DVR. Some of you are saying, what is the DVR? DVR is that thing that you can pause on the TV and still hold and you can watch. So if your wife comes up to you, now remember before you're in the middle of a game and they're getting ready to make a touchdown and your wife comes up, honey, we got to talk right now. There's a huge problem. And you're like, hold on, honey. They're driving to the five. Just wait a minute. Right. Honey, we got to talk. And you can't, if you, you're going to miss the, you, honey, wait. Just, honey. And then she gets mad, walks away, and then it explodes into a Great thing about you just pause it. Oh, honey, yeah, you want to talk? Sure. Hold on. You got my full attention. <laughs> what do you need? What, what, what can we talk about? What do you need? I'm, I'm being fun. None of you got that. That just went over some of your... If you don't have a DVR, you need to get a DVR because you save a lot of problems. I'm just kidding, okay? Kidding. Listen, the big thing here is just listening. And then in, in that process of listening, just Repeat what each other are saying so you understand correctly what they want from you. So if you're in this conversation, because I know for me, my mind can tend to wander. You know, you'll be talking. I'm like, geez, I wonder what we're going to have for dinner tonight. <laughs> really good. Oh, I'm sorry. She goes, did you hear what I said, Barton? Did you hear? Uh, yeah, yeah, you were. She goes, and that's not what I said. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I've got to repent now because I'm just a bad listener. So I do now is I just listen. You constantly say, okay, what you're saying is this, so I understand correctly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And sometimes it's just listening. That's all it is. It's just listening. It, and I know sometimes we want to give our opinions, and we want to say, oh, here's how you can fix it. And meanwhile, they're like, okay, good, thanks for fixing my problem, but you never even listened to me. Emotional stability comes from hearing the other person, understanding where they're coming from. I like a... Uh, you know, the, the passage there in James 1.19 where it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. That's why God has given you two ears and one mouth, right? We're to listen twice as long, okay? So, so you know, this, this listening can create such a great emotional stability when we really understand where the person is coming from. So repeat what they say. Understand what each other have said so that you don't misunderstand their feelings and you can create intimacy through this emotional stability that God desired to have when you're becoming one. And here's, here's the last thing I want to just really focus on. So we have the spiritual, we have the emotional, and then we have the, the physical. In Genesis, God clearly states that sexual intimacy would be in the limits of marriage. And I, I, I love this passage in Hebrews 13, 4, where it says, the marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexual immoral. And here's what I love about this. What the Hebrew writer is declaring here is that the marriage bed is to be kept pure. The meaning here is that nothing should come between that relationship, between that married couple. And, and basically, the word there for sexual moral is where we get the word pornos in the Greek, which is where we get the word pornography, which is a, just a general, whenever you see that in the word of God, sexual moral, it's basically just a general term referring to anyone who gauges in sexual conduct outside the marriage bed. And what the Hebrew writer is saying here, he's saying, keep that marriage bed pure beyond all things. Protect it with your whole life. Why? Because God intended us to have intimacy within the best environment, and that's in marriage. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. There's no regrets. 
And that's why Adam and Eve could stand before each other naked and not be ashamed because God's will and God's plan was upon them. And so what we see in this through Genesis, through this man and this woman together, it was not just a contractual thing that God said, okay, man, woman, contractual, blah, 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 walk like robots in your marriage and just do this and don't do this. No, it was covenantal which means it's more than just a marriage license. It was a covenantal relationship. The intimacy that would be shared would be holy to the Lord because it was good. And some of you may be sitting here to say, Pastor, that water has sailed underneath that bridge. I'm past that. Listen, it's a wonderful thing about a relationship with Jesus Christ. He makes all things new. Do you realize that? God makes all things new. God, God uh, didn't say uh, that the two shall become one flesh is something to be taken lightly. This, this literally consummated the marriage. It, it made it complete. Here's what God's desire for you. Some of you here, you're in different camps. Some of you here today, you're wanting to find a spouse. You hold on to these notes with your dear life and follow these passages and God will give you a blessed marriage. You look for that spouse that's going to honor God and want to serve the Lord, okay? Some of you are sitting here today and you say, man, I've had my past through divorce or whatever that's been shipwrecked and blah, blah, blah. And you're sitting here today and you're saying, my marriage isn't all that it should be and we definitely need to have a reconstruction of our marriage. There is good news for you too because God, through his mighty grace, does make things new. Instead of about complaining about what they don't do and how we need to do and nothing changes and, and, you, and you complain about your past and all the mistakes that you made, start with Christ right now and say, okay, do I believe Christ can make things all new? Do I believe God can forgive us through the blood of Jesus Christ? Then that's where you gotta start. And you gotta say, okay, we need to start fresh and new and begin to do the things that create a marriage that is both spiritual and emotional, and truly the right type of physical intimacy that God desires. And when you begin to take that road and take those steps forward, God will bless your marriage. I love this story by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I, I just read this the other day, and it was so powerful. If you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, he's just the man. Dietrich was just epitomized living by faith and living for Christ in a, in a very difficult time. He was a pastor in Germany who was arrested for op opposing Nazism. At the age of 39, he was hung for his faith in Jesus Christ. But as he was hung and executed because of his faith in Jesus Christ, because the Nazi regime, and just weeks later, the Allies freed them, and, but he died before that, gave his life for Jesus, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. You need to read that if you've never read it before. It will just challenge you in your walk with God. But one of the things he wrote, he wrote a lot of papers while he was in, in prison. And, and, and while he was in prison and in these concentration camps, he, he shared with other people about his relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you may think, well, Pastor, you know, this is pretty depressing. You know, here he is hung, he was engaged. His fiance never married again. She could have, but she never married again. You're like, man, what a depressing story, Pat. What a way to just, bah, 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 the end of your message here. But I want you to hear something that he wrote. 
I want to read to you what he wrote about marriage while he was in prison. And here's what Dietrich said, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He says, as you gave, and some of you here today, some of you married couples here today, you need to renew your devotion and your love to one another again. Listen to his words. He says, as you gave the ring to one another and have now received it a second time from the hand of the pastor, so love comes from you. But marriage from above, from God, as high as God is above man, so high are the sanctity, the rights, and the promise of love. And this is what I love that he says. It's not your love that sustains the marriage, but from now on, the marriage that sustains the love. Listen to me. Marriage is a covenant we choose to love. It's a choice not based on feelings. It's a choice based on the will of God for your marriage. Does your marriage covenant sustain your love or is your love trying to prop up that marriage that ain't working because you're doing it in your own strength and your own life? So what I want to challenge you today, whether you're looking for that right married per, right person to marry or you're here and you need your marriage to go to the next level, here's what I want to say to you today. How are you doing? Some of you here today, you need to take some serious inventory. You need to look at how are we doing spiritually in our marriage and, and talk about this as a couple. Be open. How are we doing emotionally? Are we connecting with each other here? Are we just kind of, yeah, you, you know how it gets. You know, you, you, you're, you're, you're just going through the motions and you're, you're, you're doing stuff, but you're not connected. You're, you're doing, you may even be doing good stuff. You came to church today. That's good, right? But then you go home and you go right back into the same thing again. How are you doing physically? You know, these are all things, if they're not clicking, people, you're going to have issues. And I think the problem is we want to hide from it. We don't want to deal with it because either the scars of the past or we feel like the, this, I'm going to make another bad choice and this marriage is going to implode like, it, like the other ones did and I'm just afraid and I'm scared and I don't know how this is going to work out, Pastor. Let me, let me tell you this. All things are possible through Christ Jesus. I'm just telling you, we serve a big God. And I know God can do miracles. He can do things beyond what you can even think of or comprehend with those who give their lives to him. And God's will for you is to have a healthy, strong marriage. I didn't say a perfect marriage. Nobody has a perfect marriage. We all have our, our faults. Some are cute. Some are just plain annoying, okay? So I know we all have those, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how are we doing spiritually with one another? How are we doing emotionally with one another? How are we doing physically? Is, is that unity coming together? Are you working on those things to bring unity and oneness together? Or have you created something in your life that keeps causing division and keep causing rifts and keep causing you to move apart? That's what I'm concerned with. That is not 
God's will. And I know every single marriage is not perfect here today. Some of you can say, well, pastor, what about this? I know, I know, I know, I know. I heard, I've been doing this for 22 years. I know there's all the, well, what about this? Well, my situation's different. Listen, for every your situation, I've heard it, okay? So I know, I know, I know. Settle down. I understand. Here's the thing. Are you going to God? That's the bottom line. Are you laying these things at his feet? And are you allowing God to change you? Or are you more concerned about changing the other person? Because maybe, just maybe, I know you don't want to hear this, but just maybe, God is trying to do a deeper work in your heart. Not so much about trying to change your spouse, because I know, believe me, I ain't perfect. But listen, so many times we want to change our spouse and we think, well, that's going to change the whole situation. Listen, maybe God is trying to change you and do a deeper work in your heart. Let God start with you to become the person that God desires you to be. And then with that heart and with that motivation, begin to work on your marriage. And I guarantee you'll have the right attitude the right spirit and it will be received much better than if I'm just trying to coerce that situation for my benefit so I want you to bow your hearts today before me today and listen we're, as we come before the Lord's table here today I know that this is difficult for some of you I know that some of you are battling here today and this is what I want to do today some of you couples that are here today this is where I want you to start as we take communion today I want the couples to come together today as you take communion if if if, if, if you just it, listen as, as simple as this okay just between you and the Lord if some of you just need to look at each other and just say these words before you take communion you just need to look at one and say, I'm sorry. That's all. I'm, we can talk later, okay? But I just want to let you know right now, before I take communion, before I recognize what Christ has done for me, Paul specifically tells us, listen, don't take these elements haphazardly. If there is aught in your heart, if, 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 if there are things in your heart that you know aren't correct before the Lord, do not take these to, to put condemnation on yourself. He said, but listen, make your heart right before the Lord. So when we come before him today and as we pray right now, if, if you just, if it's with your spouse that you just need to say, we'll talk later, but I just need to tell you I'm sorry because I, I'm, not, I'm not living up to these things. I hate pastor right now, but I know he's right, okay? So I know that, okay? I love you and I wouldn't say these things if I didn't love you, okay? Because I know the truth of God's word is what sets us free. So you may just need to look at each other, grab each other by the hand, just squeeze your hand, just say, hey, I need to start anew and afresh before I take communion. This might be the most powerful communion service you have ever done in your life, and I hope it is. And so when you take communion, you say, God, I need to make my heart right before you. I've taken communion before, and I've taken it with the wrong attitude. I didn't really mean it. I didn't really recognize what Christ did for me. Make your hearts right by examining your heart before the Lord. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And, and then we're, 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 we're going we're gonna to sing unto the Lord and, and just listen to the words that are being sung today and we'll take communion together. But, but before you take communion, during the worship time, for you spouse, if you just need to grab each other's hands, just
just whisper, I'm sorry. Let it start there. For some of you that are single here today, that they're looking for a spouse, or some of you here today that have a lot of baggage from your past that you just need to be healed, let the blood of Jesus Christ cover that. That's, that's what communion's all about. It recognizes the wonderful power of forgiveness that Jesus offers those that come to him. He took on your sin upon that cross. And by putting your faith in him and recognizing that it all comes from him, his grace will be poured out upon you and healing and forgiveness will come into your life. Amen. So I want to pray for you today. Let's pray. And let's just believe God to do his great work in this situation. And then we're going to sing and we're going to recognize his wonderful blood. Lord Jesus, we come before you. God, I know that this was a hard word. It wasn't an easy word, but sometimes it's hard words that produced soft hearts. And I realize that sometimes soft words produced hard hearts, but Lord, you desire a soft heart here today. I pray for every individual. I pray for every married couple that needs healing, that you need to do a work in their life. It's the most precious covenant that is established in their life is that marriage and I pray that we would not look lightly upon that anymore that we would see it as the seriousness of what it is and how we need to change so Lord as we come before you communion is open to all who have opened their life up to you dear Jesus and follow you by faith and have received you as Lord and Savior and we can do that now and so Lord as a family we take this together I pray for every married couple right now, you would just do a beautiful healing within their life, God, and in their marriage and in every individual life. Thank you for your blood that was given for us, for the forgiveness of our sin. Without it, there could be no forgiveness. And so we recognize what you've done for us, dear Jesus. And I pray your healing upon every life here today. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen, amen. Let's sing this song together. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and just begin to worship the Lord. Just make this your time between you and the Lord and just begin to worship Him today. God bless you. All the longing of and souls Only you can satisfy all the need to be made whole Only you can satisfy Only you Jesus, only you Jesus, only you Satisfy
forgiveness and your love that was so evident to us as you hung on that tree and Lord I, I just pray I just feel God you're just doing a great work amongst hearts here today that you're going to bring healing to marriages and lives Lord we just believe that because you're just you're true to your word and you're true to your promises God and your promise is that you never would leave us or forsake us that nothing could separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus Lord, I thank you that, God, you're patient with us. You're very patient with us, that your, your faithfulness and your mercy, Lord, they're, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. And so, Lord, I just thank you. As we hold this, these elements in our hands, we recognize the bread that we hold in our hand, that, that it was through Jesus' body that he said that he is this bread that represents his body, that, Lord, he is the bread of life. And everything we have, when we partake of Christ and we come to him, we will hunger no more. He satisfies everything in our lives as, as we worshiped just a moment ago. God, what powerful words. Thank you that you gave your body, that it was broken, that it was bruised, that it was beaten, that it was crushed for us, God. Lord, we, 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 you just did everything for us, Jesus, and we thank you for that. So as we partake of this bread, we recognize that it's all because of Christ and what he did for us, that we can be made whole today. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together.
And Lord, we thank you for this cup. You didn't allow the cup of God's wrath to pass through you, but you willingly, obediently took on the wrath of God and the judgment that should have been poured out upon us. You took it upon yourself through your sacrifice, and for that we're grateful. God, I pray that the blood of Jesus Christ would cleanse us today and make us new. Thank you, God, that we confess our sins to you. You are faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For that, we are so grateful today. So bring your cleansing on every individual and every marriage, every life here today. Bring your cleansing power as we submit our lives under Jesus Christ and his headship. Bind us together. Bind this church together, Lord, with those cords that cannot easily be broken. Bind us together through the love of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, for this body and for this church, Lord. God, it's this body that you died for, that you gave your life for, and that we're so grateful for that. So as we partake of this cup, we recognize that it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ and through his sacrifice that I can find forgiveness for my sin today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's partake of the cup today. Amen. Amen. God is good. Let's stand this morning. I'm going to dismiss you. And I just um, I just want to just pray a, a short prayer over you today. I just want you to just grab the hand of the person next to you. And I, I just want to just pray a, a short prayer over you today as you go in God's grace today. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I thank you, God, for this church, for the person on the right and the left of us, Lord. God, I pray that you would just do your work in each and every one of our lives. We are family here today, God. When one is hurting, we all hurt. And God, I pray that we would not leave this place without knowing that we are part of the family of God when we're under the headship of Jesus Christ. So I pray for your healing today and your blessings upon every life here today, God. I thank you for them, God. And let's just, Lord, tomorrow morning we wake up May we recognize today is a new day, that God's mercies are new today, and that in Christ Jesus we can find freedom and joy that this world could never give us. So let us be found in you each and every day, and I thank you for every person here. Just let them go with your blessings and with your grace, God, as we look to you for all our strength. We love you today, and we just thank you for this time together and for your word. We're just so grateful. Let it change us today, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Jesus mighty name. And everyone said Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can go if you need prayer. Our prayer partners will be up front. Have a wonderful day. God bless you guys.